Uh, we're going to look basically at two scriptures, um, James 4 and also 1 Timothy 1. James 4 and uh, 1 Timothy 1 will be in those scriptures. And I am going to do my best. Um, if this is not good, well, then Keith bombed it. But if it's good, then give Jesus all the glory. Amen. <laughs> Oh my. Okay, James. Um, if you, I will do a, we'll say this. If you did not get a chance to hear the nine o'clock service by the guest preacher that we had, please go back and do that. It was a wonderful, wonderful teaching. And, and what was so impressive about it, guys, he was only here for like 20 minutes. But what those 20 minutes, I mean, he shut it down at before, uh, I guess, uh, nine, like 9.50 and he was done. But man, the power in that service and the theology and the doctrine will bless you. So please uh, do that. And um, it was a confirmation for me because I was uh, in the book of James with tonight. And I want to start off in verse 7. James 4 verse 7. And it says, therefore, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee. From you, I'm going to read that again. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And then I also want you to turn over to First Timothy, and this is going to be the bulk of our time uh, together. First Timothy, chapter one, a very familiar scripture, and thank God for it. Excuse me, First Timothy, chapter two. Verse 5, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And I want you to see the word of God tonight. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you tonight. And God, I am quite aware that in me dwelleth no good thing. But I am also quite aware... That your love has been a shed abroad in my heart for many, many years. God, your word says to cast all our cares upon you for you truly care for us. Oh God, how I've been a recipient of that care many days in my life. Like so many others have. God, I know there's needs in this place tonight. God, there are needs. There are needs. And there are needs. But God, we believe that you are the only one. They can touch man in a way like no other can. God, we do that tonight. We submit to you. We put all our confidence in you. God, the world may say this is just a crutch. And I would tell them they are absolutely right. It is a crutch. I am leaning with everything I got on this crutch. And I'm confident that it will hold up. And I thank you for this body tonight. And I pray that your love would envelop the minds and hearts of every person in this place tonight as we open your word in Jesus name and everybody said amen um, in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 Paul uh, reveals three important details outline of a complete Christian life and it's really I want you to get this tonight a complete Christian life and what he talks about is that what Jesus did for us he did something for us and that is our justification by faith. The Bible says that you are justified by faith um, and you have peace with God. 
Before you are saved, there is a war going on before you and God. The world says, look, y'all crazy people in that church, y'all do what y'all do, we're going to do what we do. I don't, it's not that I'm against you, I just, let me live my life. They don't understand, they don't understand that there is a war going on between them and God. Because God is at war with sin. And the opposite of war is peace. And this justification by faith, the Bible says that you are therefore justified by faith. You have peace with God. And if you know what that means, and that has truly happened to you, that changes your life. And guess what? It will continuously be changing your life, that revelation. But Paul talked about also that God does something in us. Refers to our sanctification, but I like to call it Christ's formation in us. You know, the greatest goal for Christianity, I'm talking about the Christianity of the whole world. The greatest goal of Christianity of the whole world is to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. But the greatest goal for the Christian, the individual Christian, every single one of you, every single Christian all over the world, the greatest goal of God is conformity to Christ. Somebody say, well, I think Pastor Lee needs to be conformed into Christ. See, that is where the miss, that is where the, the disconnect is in, in this thing we call church all over the world. We think that the preacher is supposed to be different from the pew. The preacher has a different function, maybe. Some of you may never stand behind a pulpit and preach the gospel. But I promise you, God wants to conform you to Jesus Just as much as any preacher that may stand before millions or thousands and preach the gospel, the conformity to Christ. And then Paul also talked about what God does through us, and that's our service. Some might say, well, which one's more important? I believe each one of them is a result of the other. But I do believe God's ultimate desire is to do something in you, in us. Many a times God only gets to do something through us because, guys, the Bible says the gifts and callings are without repentance. If anybody is religious in this place tonight, you might want to pick your fingernails because I'll say something that you might not agree with. God can only use messed up, dysfunctional, crazy, messed up, foolish people. Because if he couldn't, there was nobody he could use. Now, I'm not condoning messing up. Anybody who has the Spirit of God living in them knows that sin is a problem. Sin will make a fool out of you. It don't necessarily mean that you lose your salvation. But what sin does, church, it robs the joy. David in Psalms 51, you can't mess up more than David. Pastor Lee did an incredible job Sunday preaching about David. In Psalms 51, David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He didn't say restore unto me my salvation. He said restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Sin robs you of your joy because it's opposite of this new man that lives inside of you. The old man, before you were born again, couldn't get enough of sin. You just sinned. It is just, it just, that's what you did. You were born in sin and you sinned. But when you get saved, when you get born again, this new man craves Jesus. 
And you can't get enough of Jesus because that's what the new man desires. It's what God desires for me and you to be conformed into his image. So those three aspects that I want to look at tonight, and and if I get to going too long, just Felix, stand up and tell me to stop. Also, after service, the ushers will be taking up the offering. Um, I was told to say that, and um, we're... We're Pentecostal in here, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to ask you to give your money tonight, okay? So, and everybody clap for that, amen? <laughs> right. All right. Um, for good things, not to make anybody rich or anything like that. So what God does for us, justification by faith. You might say, well, Keith, we're in church. I mean, you, you, you're, you're talking about being born again. Guys, I... I Because of John chapter 3, I want you to listen. Nicodemus, is it possible that someone could be sitting here tonight on a Wednesday night and not be born again? You know that that's possible. Nicodemus in the Bible says that he was a ruler of the synagogue. In other words, he was not someone sitting in the back corner. Nothing against sitting in the back corner of the balcony, but he was not somebody checking his watch. He was running the church. He was running the institution. And the Bible says he came to Jesus and said that we know you must be from God for no man can do the things that you do. And Jesus said you must be born again. It's like he just ignored what he was talking about. And this ruler of the synagogue said, how can a man go back into his mama's belly and be born again? He did not know what that meant. Running a church. And did not know what that meant. And Jesus said, of course, you got to be born of water, a natural birth. Some, some people try to teach, well, that's baptism. Listen, you can go down a, a, a dry center and come up a wet center. Water can't save you. We believe in baptism, but water does not save you. We all believe that, right? He didn't understand what he was talking about. He said, you must be born again. You have, must have this second birth. Still don't understand. And in my words, it's like Jesus went to this analogy and he said, look at the trees. You cannot see the wind, but you see the effect of the wind. I believe this with all my heart. You cannot come to Jesus and not change. And you are being changed. Every day of your life. It's impossible. One theologian said where justification ends. Holiness. Listen. Begins. That's the key word. Begins. And if holiness has never started. In a person's life. One could conclude. That justification has never taken place. Because you change. And you are being changed. And we will continuously be being changed. For all of eternity, until we see Jesus, which one day we will be changed. Amen? But that can happen right now. You can have as much of Jesus as you want to have. Amen? So we're talking about being born again. Now, now why would someone throw this away? Why, Why would the world throw this away? The conviction... A man hears the word of God. God reveals himself to a man or a woman, and there's conviction. 
And the world don't want to be told about their sin. The world don't want to be told, let me live my life. I just want to do, they might even go to church on Christmas and Easter and do those kind of things and give up chocolate for a couple weeks and stuff like that at that time of the year. But let me tell you something. That conviction, they want to, they don't want to deal with that. But what the conviction leads to a confession. God shows you you and you confess. But once confessed, there's a communion. And in that communion comes conformity. And all of you have been through that process if you've been born again. That communion with God and that conformity. We're talking about being saved here. We're talking about being a Christian. We're not talking about joining a church or anything like that. The Bible says that God is coming back for a church that was without spot and without wrinkle. A garment. Do you know the only garment that is unspottable and unwrinkable is the garment that God gives you? Any other thing that you add to that garment is a potential to be spotted and wrinkled. We are clothed in his righteousness. But at the same time, God help us to be controlled by that righteousness. Amen. So we're talking about what God does for us. Now I'm going to skip over in us and go straight to through us, but come back to in us. The service for God. You know, what we do for God. What we do here in the church, what we do here out and about in our schools, our jobs, our families, etc. In our highways and byways, uh, our sacrifice unto the things of God, knowing that our works don't save us, knowing that what we do or don't do does not make any more right with God. But it is something that we are to have a service for God. So I don't want to diminish that, but I want to bring great emphasis to what God done for us and what God does in us, this sanctification process. The Bible says that you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Some people say you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You were set free the minute you said yes to Jesus. Do you know that when you're born again, I heard Pastor say that, Pastor Lee say this, that truly born again, you are just as saved sitting in this church as somebody in heaven right now. Does that just blow your mind? Positionally, positionally, you're in Christ. You can't get more perfect than in Christ. And so we have this wonderful salvation. We have this wonderful uh, set apart, born again, old things become new. It says the truth will make you free. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible says that... um, Faith come by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. And how will they know unless there's a preacher? So the word of God, the doctrines of the Bible are so, so very important to understand. But this truth, this message of grace that Pastor Lee talks about, that you have been privileged to sit under. I don't know if you understand that it's a privilege to sit under a powerful message that gives you the opportunity to actually have what the scripture talks about really happen in your life. Because it can't happen with a off message. I don't care if it makes your hair stand up on the back of your head. Look, 
People had the hair stand up on the back of the head at the LSU game. But that don't mean that that was Jesus. I've been to football games where people were crying and shouting and run around. And I'm all for that. Trust me. But you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. What God done for us and what God is doing in us. Now in this Christian life. When you get serious about conformity to Christ, I want you to know that there's an enemy that gets serious about altering that. Some people think, well, I'm going to come to Jesus and my life is just going to get wonderful. It's probably not going to happen. I read one book from uh, Warren Wiersbe and he was talking about maturity in Christ. And one of the first pages he said, if if. You know, you don't like some of the things I'm saying. He said, you might want to put this book right now down because you're not going to like what I'm having to say. Now, I'm not saying that God don't bless his children. But what do we call blessing? Pastor Evan said it a couple weeks ago. What What do we call blessing? It's amazing if we would just ask people out on the streets, what do you call a blessing from God? It'd be amazing what people would hear. But the biggest blessing from God is conformity to his son. And guys, that's what you, that's what you should want. If, if you're born again, if I'm born again, that should be the desire. And guess what? We're so much not like God <laughs> that that is something that constantly is in us, on us, wanting, we want that. God help me. And the only way that it can happen, I guess what? Is by grace, by God giving that to you. Thank God for the truth. And James says something in James 4, verse 7. We read it just now. It says, submit to God. Risk this the devil. And he will flee from you. This scripture here can definitely throw people for a loop. Some people say, well, I'm going to go out and fight the devil. No, you're not. You can't fight the devil. The devil's stronger than you. Let me tell you some crazy things that we can do as Christians. When I was growing up, teenagers, um, you know, which I'm an old man now. I'm almost 50 years old. But, <laughs> but when I was young, you know, you, know, you want to be pure and you want to be, you know, you want to you, you wanna do right and not do wrong. And, and I thought to myself, you know what? If there's a temptation to watch something dirty on TV, I took a construction seat, sheet of paper and wrote, Jesus loves you on it. And taped it to my big screen TV. Because I thought, there is no way that I could walk up to that TV and take that thing off and even watch something dirty. Let me tell you something. Christians can do some crazy things that thinks that can bring victory to you. Your victory is from grace and grace alone. The Bible says submit to God. And in a little bit, I'm going to say why this scripture can be true. You might say, well, Keith, what am I supposed to do then? Because it sounds good, Keith, what you're saying, but I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. What am I supposed to do? Hopefully, the Lord will help me present to you why submitting to God is resisting the devil and he will flee to you. Because Jesus is the only one qualified. 
that can do for you what you need to be done. So when you get serious about conformity to Christ, there's an enemy that gets serious about altering that process. And how we have to know how we can fight. The preacher Sunday said, the devil can't mess with a man on his knees. He can discourage you. He can do some things this and that. But he can't destroy you when a, when a believer is submitting, giving it to God. And that brings me to the bulk of my message tonight in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And this is where we're going to hang out for the rest of the night. Felix, I'm doing good. At, time's good? Okay. How many of you love Felix? Amen. Yes. <laughs> Becca said, I do. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> well, I, well, well, I think you're wonderful, buddy. First um, Timothy 2, verse 5. The Bible says there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. The word mediator definition is one who stands between two or more parties who has sympathy and understands both parties and whose function is to bring those two parties together i'm gonna read that again a mediator is one who stands between two parties who has sympathy and understanding of both parties and whose function is to bring those two parties together together guys only christ can fill the position of a mediator between a righteous god and a sinful man there is a massive gulf between these two if you want to know what man's problem is, man's problem is not lack of education, it's not lack of money, it's not lack of self-esteem, whatever. Man's problem is sin. And if you want to know how big of a deal sin is, look what God had to do to resolve sin. We're not taught, the Bible doesn't say that the wages of sin is a toothache, a headache, a bad day. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. I told Pastor Lee, I heard something that made me think of him. This guy was debating a preacher and saying, if God's really real and God's love and God is this, why does he let tsunamis happen and leukemia and death and this and that? And the preacher didn't even acknowledge what he said. He just said, I'm just blown away that God just doesn't kill everybody. Huh, Phil? I've heard you say stuff like that before. We get all off in these tangents trying to figure out God. Listen, one sin could be over. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. So God is a God of love. He is a God of love, absolutely. He's the mediator, the only one that can be this mediator. And his assignment was to bring a righteous God and a sinful man together for eternity. Eternity to bring us together. So... Tonight, I want to talk about four qualifying characteristics of the mediator of this man, Jesus. And I pray that this is just a beautiful big screen presentation in your heart of who Jesus is. Four qualifying characteristics. Number one, 
He must be equal to God. And he must be equal to man. Okay, we're talking about a mediator. Okay, I'm talking about somebody that the scripture says you've got all hell coming against you. You've got temptation. You've got the fall of man. You've got sinful this. You've got this going on, frustration. Um, all this coming at you and you're saying, Keith, you're telling me the answer is to submit to God. That's what the scripture says. But I pray by the Holy Ghost that we'll see this man we're submitting to. Because there's power in the gospel. There's power in Jesus. I didn't come to say this, but think about it in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus. Judas. Jesus said, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus. And he said, I am he. And the Bible says that 500 soldiers about fell over like dead men. Almost. Now, I want you to imagine this. They tie him up in their wall. If I would have been a soldier, I'd been thinking, this guy just said his name. And, but that's who we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about God in the flesh. So, equal to God. Let's look at what the scripture says. In Philippians 2.6, says he... Came in the form of God. Colossians uh, 1.15. If you're writing these scriptures down. Colossians 1.15. Let's look and see what it says. It says that he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Verse 16. For by him all things were created. And that are in heaven. And that are on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and are for him. And he is before all things and all things um, in him. All things consist. The book of John says in the beginning was the word. Um, the Bible says in Micah that it, he, he went forth uh, from old to everlasting to eternity. God, Jesus is equal to God. The Bible says in Genesis where it said, let us make man in our image. Jesus was there from the very beginning. Let us make man in our image. So this mediator that I'm talking about understands he's equal. He, he's equal to God. But to be an effective mediator, he must be at the same time equal to man. Jesus shares the equality with God. Yes. And with man simultaneously. It was by his own choice, guys. Nobody made him do this. Creator came creation. He's equal with God. And he's equal with man. He's the only 200% man to ever live. He was 100% God. And he was 100% man. He never... He... he, he, he Never lost the possession of his deity. But he chose not to use the expression of it. While he was on this earth. He was God. In the flesh. He understands man. He's equal to man. He entered this world. Born although we know we was not born like me and you. But he was born. 
And for 33 and a half years, he walked this earth as a man. He understands man. He's equal with man. You may say, does anybody care? Does anybody understand me? You know, Phil's a good buddy of mine, and I wear him out all the time. He's like, brother, I love you. You can just go ahead and say it all. I said, well, thank you, Phil. But as much as Phil's my friend, there is one that understands me. The Bible says he's equal with man. He's equal with God, but he's equal with man. He took upon himself as a servant. He didn't come to this world uh, with a fanfare and everything just perfect for him. It's totally the opposite. He took on the form of a serpent, and he came for one purpose and one purpose alone. And that was to give his life at Calvary for the sins of the whole world. He's equal to God, and he's equal to man. And so if he was always with God from the very beginning, I want you to think about this. He cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was always with the Father. But for that moment on the cross, God had to turn his back on his son. Because at that moment, all the sin and the wrath of God was being poured out on Jesus. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No man will ever be able to stand before God and say, God, you forsook me. You left me. No, God forsook one man. So no man in all of the world will be able to say that I was forsaken by God. He forsook Jesus. So you and I could never say that. He understands God. He's equal to God and he's equal to man. To be an effective mediator, not only do you have to be equal to both sides, you've got to understand. Jesus understands God. Jesus understands how God feels about sin. The Bible says in Psalms 51.5 that you were born in sin. You don't have to do sin to be a sinner. We're born a sinner. It's the fall of man. Jesus understands how God feels about sin. Jesus understands what God had to do in the garden with Adam and Eve. He was there. Jesus understands what God did at the Tower of Babel. Jesus understands what God did with the flood when he destroyed the whole world. Jesus understands, he's, he understands God. Jesus understands what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. He understands God. He understands how God feels about sin. But to be an effective mediator, he also has to understand you and I. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted, was tempted above all measure. The only thing different about him and me and you is that he did not sin. But I want you to think about this. The climax never ended for him. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about your temptation. His whole life. The temptation. And people say, well, could he have sinned? Could Jesus have sinned? God, for me and you to be redeemed, 
He had to live this life. The second Adam had to live this life as a man so that me and you could be brought back to God. There was a time in the Bible, the sacrificial system, that there was a lamb that you would bring for every person. Then it would be a lamb for every house. Then when the law came, a land for every nation. But when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he was the lamb for the entirety of the world. He understands you. He understands he was hungry, the Bible says. The Bible says he was thirsty. He was rejected. He was alone. He was misunderstood. We could go on and on and on. The Bible says he was attempted, just like me and you. But yet, he did not sin. He knows. He understands you. He understands man's side of the of the case. And I do have to be crystal clear that the difference in me and you and him is that he did not sin. Not only do you have to be equal with both parties, you've got to understand both parties. The Bible says he was full of compassion. Do you know what compassion means? It means to suffer with. That's what it means to suffer with. So when he looked upon the multitudes, and I just love reading the Bible, it says the multitudes started coming to Jesus. Just imagine hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of people. The Bible says he looked at them and he was moved with compassion. He suffered with them. The woman caught in adultery. They said that this woman, the law says that she should be stoned. What do you say? He bent down with his finger and started to draw in the dirt. Many theologians don't know what, he's, what he was doing. But I can almost see him down doing that. And saying you guys are something else. This finger is the finger that came from heaven and touched the stone that created the law. I am the law. And he said, whoever has no sin, throw the first stone. Guys, I thought if that would have been like a FNT moment, everybody would have dropped the stone and came forward and knelt down on the side of the woman. It should have been a beautiful altar call. They dropped the stone. That means they realized that they were guilty. But why walk away? Come get the same thing that this woman was getting. But he had compassion. He had compassion on the woman at the well. He had compassion with the thief on the cross. He said, you're not going to have to wait. Today, you will be with me in paradise. To be an effective mediator, you've got to be equal to both parties. You've got to understand both parties. Jesus Christ is that and he can only, he's the only one that can be that. Number three, to be an effective mediator. You must also have the ability to solve the problem. 
It's not good enough just to be equal. It's not good enough just to understand both parties. You have to have the ability to solve the problem. I said it before, just now, our problem is not what we think it is. When man fell, the earth fell off its spiritual axis. It doesn't work right anymore. It's never going to work right anymore. It is a fallen world. Jesus Christ came to solve the problem. He is the only one qualified that can solve the problem. He went to Calvary. He suffered an arrest that was illegal and unjust. He suffered with whips, thorn, crown, plucked his beard, covered his face and spit. And he didn't say a word. Somebody don't agree with me on football and I want to fight him. He carried the cross to that hill. He suffered on the cross. He split his side open. And when he cried, it is finished. He meant what he said and he said what he meant. This was such an ugly scene. It was so ugly that I said a while ago, God had to turn his back on it. And for those three hours on the cross where he was bearing the weight of the world on him, the first time in his life he was away from his father. But also, what was done on that cross was that veil was ripped that allows anyone now to go to God. It wasn't always like that. All those lambs and all those doves and bullocks and things that were sacrificed, those sacrifices would, would, would come and it would cover, but it wouldn't take away sin. Old Testament, New Testament, this lamb that was offered for the world took away your and my sin. That we can now approach God, the Bible says, with boldness. Guys, we may not feel bold in ourself approaching God, but you're not approaching God on yourself. You're approaching God based on Jesus, and the Bible says, come boldly. It's a throne, not of judgment. It's a throne of grace that the Bible says that you shall receive mercy and grace in the time of your need. What need do you have here tonight? Many needs tonight in the house. I'm here to tell you that you can come to him. To not only have to be equal, not only do you have to understand both parties, you have to be able to solve the case. Singers and musicians, you can come up. The fourth thing that makes you a qualified mediator is the ability to bring the case to a happy ending. Again, bringing a sinful man to a righteous God and together into a kingdom relationship that affects your life. You're born again. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. To a kingdom relationship. 
Oh, the price he paid. Why did God do all this? Why did God, why did Jesus do this? Somebody said to me, if God knows all things and he knows that man was going to mess up, why even fool with it? Because God loved man. And it's not that he has love, he's, he is love. And guys, all I can tell you, I, I, I am probably the, the, I thankful for this opportunity here tonight, but, but I, I, I don't claim to be a good preacher, but I do claim this. At eight years old, I said yes to Jesus. And I'm 49 years old now, and I can tell you that there's nothing that has radically impacted my life from then until now. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And if God's not real, what is this living inside of me? What is this that wakes me up in the middle of the night? What is this that allows me to sleep when most people might be? What is this? Who is this? If God is dead, who's this living in my soul was a song we used to sing many years ago. God gives us a free will. Because he didn't create robots. He don't want to make you love him. He wants you to want to love him. The Bible says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, walk ye in him. We like to say it like this. The same way you get in is the same way you stay in. By faith, by grace. And this man, Jesus, is qualified for me to stand before you tonight and say your answer is to submit to that man and let the grace of God come and do for you what nothing else can. Would you please stand to your feet? There's one God, one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. And these altars are open tonight. You might say, Keith, we go to the altar every every week, every Wednesday. Amen. And I don't have anything to offer you myself because I need to be at the altar too. But this man that we talked about tonight is qualified to do for you what you need done. Let's present ourselves to him tonight. Submit to God, which is resisting the devil, and he will flee. The qualified mediator. Bless him in Jesus' name. Bless him in Jesus' name.